And I like to tell jokes before I start a sermon. Are you guys okay with that? And it's kind of lighten up the mood a little bit. All right, I got a couple jokes for you. <clears throat> I told my wife that I'll start arranging the herbs in alphabetical order from now on. She said, well, where would you find the time? Oh, that's easy, I replied. It's right next to the sage. <laughs> Don't get ahead. <laughs> a lady asked her friend how her workplace routine was going, or workout routine was going. Good, she replied. I'm doing crunches twice a day now. Captain in the morning, Nestle in the afternoon. All right, one more. How I learned, this one's called How I Learned to Mind My Own Business. I was walking past the mental hospital the other day, and all the patient, patients were shouting, 13, 13, 13. I didn't know what was going on, and the fence was too high to see over, but I saw a little gap in the planks, so I looked through to see what was going on. And some idiot poked me in the eye with a stick. And then they all started shouting, 14, 14, 14. All right, that's enough. Uh. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> raise your hand if you're stupid. Okay, no one was supposed to raise their hand. <laughs> Don't remove people's doubt. Okay, let's try it this way. Raise your hand if you have done something stupid. Okay, yeah, that's, I figured that would reach a, well, actually, this reached quite a broad audience, but uh, turn your Bibles, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 17. <clears throat> when I was a kid, I was not known for my wise intellect. We had, my grandparents had this riding lawnmower that was like this beautiful green John Deere tractor, and it was my job to wash it. And it was, you know, the, the bright yellow, the bright green. It was awesome. And, it, and, it, and, and our yard was huge. It was like mowing a planet. And I remember begging my grandfather to uh, put weights on the back of the seat so it would trip the safety sensor because I didn't weigh enough to mow and I wanted to mow. And you, have to, you had to be 100 pounds to mow. I could mow three times now, but uh, in, in those days I couldn't. And, but he just wouldn't do it. But then one day, our John Deere decided it was done mowing. And we had a new power to operate switch put on. Didn't work. Nothing fixed it. So my grandfather took it to the shop where our tractor mechanics on our ranch removed the blades. And I had a perfectly running John Deere tractor that was all my own. No blade decks in case it decided to mow, because that's what happens, right? It won't mow, so you give it to your kid, and now it works. <laughs> One day I was camping with some of my buddies. It's like we set up a tent out in the backyard, and we were going to do like it. You know how you do in your kids, like a, just a backyard camping. And uh, my buddies, who were eviler than I was, <laughs> talked me into going and stealing my own tractor taking it to where we were camping so that later we could drive it behind our shop where we wouldn't get caught and we could go joyriding at, you know, like three miles an hour. <laughs> it, was, it was the perfect plan. I had the perfect plan. I snuck in the house, 
the grandparents were still up. I started pretending I had to go to the bathroom because, you know, why else would you be in the house besides stealing a key? <laughs> I quietly pushed the tractor over to where we were camping. And that was it. We had a fun night. We enjoyed riding and everything. And then the next morning, I pushed it in neutral back into the garage. But I had neglected one very critical detail. The garage where my tractor slept is also the garage where our dog slept. And when she was being put to bed at night and the tractor was missing, my, my whole plan was foiled. But of course, they didn't say anything because they knew where I was. And so the next morning when I snuck it back into the garage and just casually strolled in the house like I owned the world, yeah, not wisdom. In fact, the only thing that earned me was grounded. <laughs> Anybody else done some stupid stuff? I, I thought that, um, you know, maybe like, maybe I would get smarter when I was older. <laughs> you didn't either, huh? <laughs> I think of the time that I was baking chicken in our oven, and I noticed that the chicken was getting really dry. And, and you know, when you have chicken in those glass Pyrex pans and your oven lights on and you're looking at it and you're dry, but what's, what's one thing that makes dry things not dry? Water, yeah, you guessed it. I dumped tap room water in a 350 degree pan in the oven, which exploded in the oven, and now I have 350 degree glass shards and perhaps even more critical, no dinner. <laughs> yep. That was fun explaining. John Maxwell says, if you're going to fail, fail forward. That's good advice, you know, meaning uh, we need to learn from our mistakes. If uh, we don't learn from them, we end up making them again and again. And you've heard the old adage, right? What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. Yeah, good. You heard that too. Actually, it was Socrates who said, the only true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I have the slide up on the screen. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, in this context, he's actually talking about sin. But I think that you could really be, uh, make it applied to unwise decisions, right? In fact, he goes on to write in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now, probably none of you have ever poured cold water on a 350-degree pan while it's still in the oven or tried to steal your own riding lawnmower. But I would guess if we took a little survey around the room, we'd get some humbling confessions. It's the married man who doesn't get the attention that he's craving, and then an innocent conversation begins with another lady at the office or on Facebook. And before you know it, he's making life choices that will alter his destiny. Or that guy, you know, he looks like he's been in one of those fire department calendars. Ladies, you know the one. Athletic, big biceps, tight abs, pearly white teeth, looks a lot like me. How you doing? <laughs> and you like him. You've enjoyed the dates with him. You've enjoyed his company. 
and anybody around you can see the impending train wreck. But you just think to yourself, ah, I know that he's not a Christian, but I can tell him about Jesus. We call that evangelical dating, evangelistic dating. You've heard that one? I'll change him. The dating evangelism. If you are growing in your relationship with God and you understand that there is a demonic, demonic, let's try that again. You understand that there is a demonic force who is in clear opposition of God. Is it possible that this gift is not a gift from God? Now, people often say, well, you know, uh, in our society, it's a, a common adage. You hear people say, ah, just follow your heart. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows it? So just follow your heart. Is that particularly wise, do we think? You and I cannot afford to have a single thought in our mind that the Lord does not think about us. Or you hear Christians say, I'm just waiting on God. It's, it's all in his timing. I'm just waiting on God. Maybe some of you have said that. And, you know, I got to say, if that increases your faith in God, you know, that's fine. But it's a cop out. It's an excuse for mediocrity. It's ascribing to God what he's waiting for you to discover. It's bad theology because it actually implies that we're the ones ready. It's God who's not ready. How often do we read it like that in the Bible? Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, go and preach the gospel. God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. God tells Abram, go to the land I will show you. The Israelites are coming out of Egypt and they have the advancing Egyptian army coming up behind them and the Red Sea is coming up in front of them. And you can almost hear their Jewish sarcasm in, in the book of Exodus when, when they turn around to Moses and say, were there no graves in, Israel, in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? And Moses starts to pray. And I love God's response. God says, Tell the people of Israel to go. God is a God of go. But he wants you to use the brain that he gave you. He wants you to go on the assignment that he gave you. He wants you to make wise decisions, wise choices. He wants you to seek wise counsel. Not just to ask your, your buddy who's just going to tell you, ah, that's a great idea, and just agree with everything that you talk to them about, but to, to seek out people who will ask the tough questions, people who are going to push back against you, who may, I don't know, engage your critical thinking skills. And this wisdom is found on the pages of Scripture, particularly in the book of Proverbs. And I want to ask the question, is this a book of words 
or is this a book of life? Have you ever been part of a company or an organization that's surrounded by a bunch of yes people? Yeah, two of you. <laughs> what happens? Usually nothing. In my professional life, I oversee 11 franchise stores, uh, restaurants. I purposefully try to hire people who don't think exactly like I do. Because first of all, they probably have better ideas than I do. Second of all, they have more talents than I do. Maybe I can scheme up a really wonderful idea, but I have no idea how to make it happen. That's why you need people who think just a little bit differently than you do. And they don't push back, you know, in an argumentative way, but, you know, in a constructive way. No organization, no church, no business, no one single person will ever get better with a bunch of people who always tell them what they want to hear. As it would turn out, the biggest problem with most of us, the biggest problem with me, the biggest problem with you, the biggest problem with us, it's not our neighbors, it's not our job, it isn't even your mother-in-law. It's the person staring back at you when you look in the mirror. We're beginning a new series today from the book of Proverbs. Did you turn there? Did I tell everyone to turn there? Or did you give up? It's Proverbs chapter 17. As we go into this series for the next four weeks, I want you to ask yourself the, the question that we asked a few minutes ago. Is this just a book of words? Or is this a book of life? Proverbs, the wisdom book in the Bible, was written by King Solomon, who is often called the wisest man to ever live, and his wisdom is still applied today. Lessons like stay humble can be found in Proverbs. Get a job can be found in Proverbs. You thought it was read from that 70s show, but it was actually Solomon. Save money when times are good. Prepare for the storms of life. Prepare for when times are bad. Don't repeat your mistakes. All that's found in the book of Proverbs. Is this a book of words or is it a book of life? Proverbs chapter 17, verses 24 and 25 says this. The discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. I like the way the Passion Translation puts it. Even in the face of a wise man shows his intelligence, but the wandering eyes of a fool will look for wisdom everywhere except for right in front of his nose. A father grieves over the foolishness of his child, and bitter sorrow fills his mother. We did a, a series this past spring uh, called People of the Spirit. And I have to tell you, uh, how many of you were here for the, the People of the Spirit series? That was one of my favorite series that we've done in a long time. And in it, we discuss what it would be like to be a complete, uh, a people who were completely yielded to the Spirit of God. What would happen in your spirit and my spirit if every move I made, I made with the conscious thought of the Spirit of God who lives in me and who lives in you? What would this church look like if everyone in it were completely sold out for the purposes of Christ? What would our world look like? Do we actually think that we can develop the character of God 
by ignoring what he said to do. You see, when I read this Bible, it's not just to get a notch on my belt of Christianity. You know, it's not just to get like, uh, you know, like the, the little, uh, whatever those things are called in the army that they put on you. Clearly, I was not in the military. It isn't just to keep up with a reading schedule. In fact, most of the time I'm behind in my Bible reading schedule right now, four days behind. When I read this Bible, I'm interacting with the word of the living God. And if this is the word of a living God, what are these words? They don't just bring stories. They lead us to the very heart of God. They deepen our relationship and our friendship with him. Some of you were surrounded by very wise people when you were growing up. Maybe you had very wise parents, wise grandparents, wise teachers and professors, neighbors. Some of you weren't that lucky. This book fills the gap. The discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. You never know how much water you bring, so you just bring it all. Verses 23 through 26 are what biblical commentators call a didactic purpose. A didactic is defined as having an intention to teach, particularly in a moral sense. They urge the reader, the implied son, not to become the evil person described in the verses, not to grieve your earthly mother or father, not to grieve God who is called our heavenly father, not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you know you can grieve the Holy Spirit? Read the book of Ephesians, it's all in there. At some point, we're going to actually have to start believing what the Lord is telling us. And people often say, well, I, um, I don't hear the voice of God. Have you tried reading his book? This connects us to the heart of God. Let me put, a, put it a better way. It was Bill Johnson who said, what you pursue determines what you get. And if you pursue surrender, he pursues your victory. Look around this room when we are singing worship songs. You see people whose hands are up like this? Or if you're like me, your hands get tired so they kind of go down a little bit. What is that a sign of? I surrender. It's not just because we want to drain all the blood into our elbows. It's, it's because we're, we're making a, a prophetic sign to the Lord that we surrender to the Lord. This book takes the place of Fox News. It takes the place of CNN. It takes the place of what you read on Facebook. We always know that's true. God's wisdom can overcome any problem you have in your life right now because the Lord has already seen the ending. Remember, we've talked about this before when I think the last time I taught, it was one of the things we said, we don't work towards a victory, we work from a victory towards victory. 
You already have victory. It's just aligning your heart and your head with what the Lord already knows to be true. I saw this meme the other day. We have a picture of it on the screen. Now to find out who's been sabotaging my walk with Christ. It's me. <laughs> reminds me of the story of a couple, uh, a brand new couple in a church had the pastor over for din- dinner. And this is not true at our church, okay? So this is not the story of any of you. They had a very nice evening getting connected with the new pastor and, and the new couple, but laying in bed that night, the wife just could not sleep. And she finally turns over to her husband and she says, I think the pastor stole our spoon. A year passes. They have the pastor over for dinner again, but she just can't stand it. And she, she just confronts him and she says, did you steal our spoon? No, he said. I put it in your Bible. That's just wrong, right? <laughs> Biblical wisdom doesn't come just from attending a church service. It comes with a purposeful and determined pursuit of a relationship with a God who craves a personal friendship with you. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, people we read about were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was manifest in power. In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 32, Bezalel was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was manifest in wisdom. The power of the Spirit does not replace the wisdom of the Spirit. They were designed to work in tandem. I'm gonna call up the worship team. It's this same wisdom that caused the Queen of Sheba to leave her palace and seek out this wisdom that Solomon had. She wanted to test his wisdom. So wisdom we read about in the book of Proverbs, but what was her response? First Kings chapter 10, verse six tells us, and the Queen of Sheba is talking, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. It was the result of a spirit which had been fully yielded to the purposes of God. Solomon has a great story. You can kind of read about his triumphs and anti-triumphs in the book of Ecclesiastes. He had a good start, but it didn't end well. It's an interesting story. What did he say after all the things that he chased? Wine, women, bigger houses, even bigger houses, barns, more, you know, livestock, and, and what did, what did he, he call it? Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. The number one reason that we're alive is first to know God and second to help others know him. I want to invite you all to stand.
is this biblical wisdom from God's very own heart to yours. And you have access to it every day, the wisdom of God, this wisdom that invites the mind of Christ into your everyday life. And it teaches you how to be a better parent, a better spouse, a better employee. Look around the room. Look at the people who are standing around you. Look around the room. Every single person that you ever meet is looking for answers. And you and I have access to the secret knowledge of the Lord. Make the decision in your heart and then harness your head. The entire appetite of scripture is to get the people of God to accurately represent who he is. Will you sing this song with us?